Thanks everyone for joining me for today's podcast. I had such a great conversation with my friend Adam Feldman from Habitat for Humanity, where not only did I learn some new information about his organization, but got to know him on a personal level as well. I'm excited for you to hear what we talked about, so grab your toolbox and listen in. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited today uh, for my podcast because I have my friend Adam Feldman, who is the executive director for the Habitat for Humanity in Northern Saratoga, Washington, and Warren County. Welcome. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. So today we're going to be talking about connections and the importance of connections. And so I'd like to start by sharing with everyone my connection with you. So I had an opportunity to meet you in 2019. And I remember that somebody uh, that I met was just like, oh my gosh, you have to meet Adam. So I like, you know, emailed you and you're like, absolutely. And we had a great conversation at a local coffee shop. And you really were inspiring to me because you understood where I was going with Knit and my vision because you had the business side from your previous life and now you're, you know, you're working on the nonprofit side. So I just want to start by saying how impactful you were to me to be as a mentor and what your advice was to me moving forward with my journey um, really means a lot. So I just want to thank you for that. Thank you very much. It's great to hear. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, it makes me excited. So to move on to the topic of connections, so Habitat for Humanity. Why is making connections and building relationships so important to what you do? Yeah, so it's not only important to what we do it is what we do it is everything everything is ingrained into the community so uh, habitat is a developer that never leaves Um, we are in the community building for the community committed to the community and also our unique model building with volunteers we literally build with the community Uh, and so habitat is very unique where a lot of volunteers they don't get necessarily interact with the direct um, clients that they're serving so maybe you go and make 5,000 Thanksgiving meals, uh, but you never actually have dinner with the person that you're making the meal for. Right. Yeah, and Habitat, it's very special because the family, uh, you know, one of the biggest burdens to home ownership is down payment. And so we have very small down payment, $2,500, but instead they put sweat equity into the, into the house. So they come and build with the community. And so uh, the person that's eventually gonna buy the house gets to literally work with the community and that really starts, that's phase one of like the Habitat relationship. Wow. I love that. And, you know, so how does Habitat find those connections? Yeah, so, well, one, we're really lucky that everyone knows what Habitat for Humanity is. That's true. Yeah, we're one of the most powerful brands in the world. Um, Jimmy Carter put us on the map. And so, you know, when we do a lot of small businesses, like, you know, you gave me an elevator pitch at our first coffee shop meeting. Um, you know, we joke around that our elevator pitch is, hi, Adam, I'm Adam, and I work for Habitat. And that's it. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> that's enough to earn a meeting. Um, and so sometimes that first meeting is really hard to get to initiate the relationship. And we're lucky that we have a, a great brand that sort of opens up doors. I'm always talking to, A, my colleagues who work at other Habitats, how to leverage the brand to open more doors, but also partner with other nonprofits or, or other for-profits or other government agencies to leverage our brand to open more doors. Uh, so here's an example. Um, Curtis Lumber uh, appreciates that there's a shortage of workforce in the construction space. And so if there's not enough workers, then you're not buying lumber. 
you know, right. and so uh, and so they're having a, a government advocacy day, and they invited me to join because we have the same problem. Because if there's not enough workers, then the cost of construction goes up. And so when um, a for-profit developer who may be perceived as a wealthy individual enters the room to talk to a government official, sometimes a government official blows them off and says, you don't really need my help. But when I walk in with them and say, hey, there's a, a relationship here, there's a partnership here, it also impacts the affordable housing piece and not just the for-profit piece. Everyone then listens. And so it's sort of a way to leverage our brand and leverage relationship in both directions uh, to help everybody. Wow, I love that. I mean, talk about just the spider web of it just keeps building and growing. Would you say that then the majority of Habitat's connections, at least at this local level, are more from businesses or from individuals? Uh, good question. So typically from a financial perspective, it tends to be business-centric. We are saying a lot of businesses uh, are excited about our model and they send their staff as a, as a, a we call it a build day, a corporate build day. And so they send their, tends to be not construction staff, but desk staff or professional staff to come and build the house and they do it through their HR. So this is like a give back day or a team building day. And one of the beautiful things about a Habitat house is in general, you know, if you make $15 an hour or $15 million a year, you have the same skill set. <laughs> and sometimes it's usually inwardly proportionate. <laughs> so it's a very flat environment. Uh, we don't care, you know, if you wear a suit or, you know, you're wearing jeans. Um, yeah, I'm handing you a paintbrush. You know, and we're all at the same cause and we all work together. And so that from the corporate side, a lot of our stuff is that. But then we have what we call our regular volunteers. And they are, they are construction skilled. Um, and they are all individuals. And they tend to be retired um, men, though there's plenty of females as well, and they usually come two days a week or so, and they help build. So everything that sort of, so in between the corporate groups or in between the weekends or in between what you, you know, the ribbon cuttings, we have a group of like eight to 10 individuals who come two or three times a week, and they're doing a lot of the, the hard work that you don't always see that goes into building a house. That's wonderful. So you do, you do not need to have a skill set in order to volunteer like if I wanted to come and volunteer, even though I don't have painting skills, if I know how to hold a paintbrush, will there be somebody there to help explain yeah. or guide yeah. us? Right. All right. So here's a great question about relationships and what makes sometimes one of the hardest things about my job is that we get those type of inquiries all the time. I have no skills and I want to help. When we first started, uh, so we've been around for 30 years, but I've been doing this for about six or seven. So when I first started, I wanted to build relationships. So everyone who called me, I said yes to no matter what. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're a corporation, show up. You yes. want fit 10 people, you want 500 people, I'll figure it out, just come and visit. You yes. know, come to our site, I don't care who you are, what your skills are, we will accommodate anything. Uh, and then probably years around two through five, we started to be a little bit more picky. Uh, because uh, when you bring an unskilled person on the build site, it's work. Yes. It's a burden. It actually decreases our mission because I have to train you how to paint. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so we have to learn how to say no um, or guide them to a better fit. Uh, and then most recently over the past, I'd say we've drawn a pretty hard line in terms of you are unskilled um, and you want to learn from us. We need something in exchange. I can't just you want to learn how to paint and you're bored and you want to volunteer. That's not enough to get you on our build site because it actually hurts our mission. Uh, it's the same thing our, we have a restore where people make donations and we've had to learn to say, you know, I know grandma's old chair means a lot to you, but we're not going to be able to sell it and it takes up lots of space and we're going to end up putting it in the dump. So we have to say no a lot. Uh, and that is not easy 
because people take it personally. Yes. Um, and so it's a hard conversation that we um, continue to improve on. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't, but that's part of relationship building. You know, it's not always a great fit. And and I sort of have practiced enough where I'm, I've learned to just be 100% transparent. You know, like, are you? let me just walk you through the process. If you come on the site, you're gonna slow us down. I don't wanna slow down because I have families to take care of. And as long as you bring it back to the mission, people usually understand. And then I, then the next phase is listening. Well, what do you actually want to do? What is your skill set? How can I fit? Let's find a path. Maybe you sit on this committee. Maybe you work at the Restore. Maybe you sit on my board. Maybe you do government advocacy. Um, maybe I can introduce you to another nonprofit who actually could use your skill set. Uh, so I learned to to kindly say no. Usually, when people call, they want to do construction. Yes. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, and so now I learned to say, please bring your corporation and bring money, and or let me find you a different fit. You know, and sort of that's the short version. But it's never ever an easy conversation, and not all of them have gone well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's be frank, right? But yeah, that, but, no. but that's okay, because it's not a one-size-fits-all. I mean, you're trying to make it work. And I love that there's all these different layers of opportunity that people can connect with you. So if it's not financially, maybe they have time that they can give to you. Or I love about the Restore. That, I mean, everybody has some things in their house that maybe are gently used, that they don't have a need for. That's another way that yeah. they can connect with Correct. you. And, and the Restore will just come pick it up. I mean, it's super easy. It's another way to help Habitat. That's amazing. So do you take pictures, like do, do you yeah, ask yeah. the people to take a picture ahead of time so you can assess it a Correct. little bit? Yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah. So that's, again, it's, uh, there's a lot, some pe people will be like, I called a junk removal company, they were going to charge me $10,000 or I'll try Habitat, they'll come and pick it up. <laughs> and I'm like, well, if the junk, like, if, if, it, if you think it's junk, yeah, then I also think it's junk. That's right. <laughs> Uh, because the people that we're serving, I mean, we want them to feel good about some of the things that they're able to put into the homes. And and, and, yeah, no, these things don't go put in Habitat homes. They're oh. sold. Yeah, we sell oh, them. Yeah, yeah, I just learned something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right, so at our restore, anyone can come shop and anyone can donate. And all of the items are then sold and those profits go to do down payment assistance for our families. So, so it's a whole separate business. Okay. Which has its own relationships. <laughs> that is really interesting. So see, that kind of goes to one of my, my things that I hear all the time from nonprofits where they're saying, you know, people think we just do this. Right. But really, if we had a chance to tell our story, we could share with them that we actually also do this, this, and this, and then we are, we're multi-layered. So see, I just learned something. I had no idea that that, that, that was that. So I appreciate that. Do you find that to be true with Habitat being a national brand that people still don't really understand yeah, who I'd say, you are? Yeah, the most common misconception is that we give our homes away for free. Uh, so that's standard. Um, and honestly, sometimes that works for fundraising because people want to give money towards that. Uh, but that's not actually what we do. We sell our homes. Uh, and so we help the families through the entire mortgage process. So they have to get do a budget and then they have to make sure their credit's good. Then they have to go talk to a bank. Uh, and then we help them apply for grants for other down payment assistance. So that is like the, the hard part that no one ever sees or ever thinks about. And so sometimes I'd say well, it's harder to be a Habitat homeowner than it is to be a regular homeowner. I mean, for me, it was get job, pay bills, show up at bank, fill out papers, sign, down payment, move in. Mm -hmm. You know, in Habitat, it's all of those things plus actually fix, learn what credit is, fix my credit, <laughs> beg and plead a bank to give me a, uh, a mortgage. 
The mortgage is not enough to buy me anything in this community. Find a partner like Habitat to do it with me. Uh, and then put in sweat equity rather than actual cash equity. So that means, you know, 100 hours at minimum. So they're there, you know, twice a week, evenings, coming to events, uh, putting in all that extra time because they don't earn enough money in their jobs that they do. Because uh, if you're making $15 an hour, you know, you're not going to be able to save $25,000. It's just not the math just does not work. That's right. So then you have partnerships with some of those other back-end organizations that need to be part of them being able to be a homeowner. Correct. Yeah. And there's lots of layers. And there's there's a lot of layers. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously with that, there's you have many layers of connections that you need to make. Are you know, what are some of the frustrations that you find with making those connections and what what could make that easier? Yeah, so it it's always a function of time. You know, it's it's People say, well, we'll do more, and, and it's hard to scale me or, you know, anyone on my team. You know, we have a limited amount of time, a little amount of energy, and we are committed to the relationship, and relationships take time and effort and energy, and so you can only have so many. Uh, and so time is always the, the, the hardest thing, and not only my time, but it's also the relationships, you know, time. So if I meet a business owner, they also are running a business. You know, I'm asking them for a favor to take time out of their day. And so I also have to be sensitive to their time as well. So it's not just mine. Yeah. It goes in both directions. And so the hardest thing is, is, is always time. And then the other thing that I find difficult is people don't appreciate the different ways to communicate. So almost everyone on my team, they're probably sick of me telling them. I say it takes 10 emails to get one phone call. So they're like, they're not following up. They're not responding to my email. And I'm like, well, one, e one phone call is worth 10 emails, so try calling. And then it's like, all right, well, guess what? 10 phone calls is worth one meeting in the coffee shop. So push to get the coffee shop, because now that's worth 100 emails, yeah. right? You know, right? right? And then one dinner, you know, and you can just go down, and, and then you're like, if you get invited to their wedding, that is worth a million emails. <laughs> so that, like, so you can either write a million emails, or right. you can work towards getting invited to their wedding. Like, which do you want to do? Like, and which is more fun, and which feels better? And so stop writing emails as part of your relationship, and try to get invited to their wedding. Like, like that's the spectrum. Um, and it starts usually with a phone call and it's a little old school and people make fun of me. They're like, you're always on the phone. I'm like, well, I'm talking to someone building relationships. That's right. You know, and so, and, uh, so it's, it's sort of a weird concept, but everyone, some people get it, some people do it, some people don't do it. And the beautiful thing is once you establish that relationship, right. then that one email works. Right. That's right. It's that warm leads that you're looking for, and then it's about the sustainable relationship that you can both cultivate, right? Right, where then when an email is sufficient, right? But you can't, you don't start with an email. Mm -mm. It just doesn't work. No, uh, it, it does not. Even with my brand, right? And so if you're coming from a nonprofit that has no brand, or if you're just sitting here on the business side and you're a salesperson and no one's ever heard of what you're selling, don't do an email. Like, right. Right? It's, it's efficient because you can blast out a million. Yes. And maybe three people call you back. But, you know, a phone call is worth 10 emails. So, yeah, that's a really good uh, point to keep in mind and moving forward. And I'm sure a lot of our nonprofit friends listening will be like, okay, that's something. And on the business side, too, right? I mean, I mean that's a business matter. Skill. I mean, it is a business. That's where I learned it. Yes. You know, I was in sales. So, yeah, that's how, that's my, my first boss when I was in my 20s. I was at Lehman Brothers on the trading floor. And he was like, you know, 
that he gave me the same story. He said, get invited to their wedding. You know, he's like, I went to five weddings this year, all of clients. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it works. Yeah, right, right. It, it yeah. works. And then you can be silly and relaxed and goofy and have fun and have an authentic, real relationship. And yes, there are transactions associated with this part of the business, but that's okay. Well, I love that. And really, what, just in our short amount of time together, just understanding that there's so many different layers and facets to what Habitat for Humanity, what they do, who they support, and all the different arenas that they fall into, because I feel like it's a win-win-win-win on, all, on all realms, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We really, we try our best. And so, like, for example, um, like the city of Glens Falls, it's a mile by mile, so they just don't have land, period. Just that's the geographic fact. So it's very hard to, to build there. And so they came to me saying, Adam, you're a thought leader in housing, just help us. And so we just sat in a room and we listened to each other. Like that was the first, that's like listening. Like I didn't come with a solution, I listened to their challenge. And one of the things they said is, you know, we need units period and we need them fast period. We appreciate that you're doing one unit at a time. That's not fast enough. Like, like what else do you got? <laughs> Uh, right, and so then I had to say, all right, well, well, how do I think beyond our standard model? And and uh, we are actually uh, we purchased a two buildings that have across ten rental units that were empty that we are now rehabbing. Congratulations! Yeah, and so moderate rehab, and again, that's not our expertise in the affordable rental space. So I went to the local agencies who do that. So I went to Jason at the Wade House and said. You know, at all these meetings, everyone is saying, like, we, we need more rentals. We need, we, I need, my, we are transitioning people um, th through hotel rooms mm -hmm. or through beds or, you know, sitting on a bed or whatever. Like, we just need more landlords who can do affordable rentals and or we just need more units. So I went to him and said, you're always asking for these. I have 10 for you. How fast can you fill them? He said, now. Wow. Uh, yeah. So we're actually going to be uh, housing the first five individuals uh, in the middle of February. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then the next five will be ready in the middle of April. Congratulations. Right. And that's not our standard model, but we listened to the community, you know, and we said, we could, you know, we'll be creative and we'll come up with a solution because no one else is doing it. And that's what the community needs. And, and again, it's a win-win-win. So the city is super happy. You know, it generates actually free cash flow for Habitat. Like, we got a loan and everything. But, like, it's a, it's a business, you know, a rental business. Uh, and then we're supporting another nonprofit agency, and then the ultimate goal of supporting the families who are going to, or individuals who are going to be living there. So they have simple, basic homes. They work, you know. And we got new floor, new paint, new appliances. So like, it feels really oh nice. Oh my gosh, I have the goosebumps. I mean, that is the true definition of impact. Thanks. And so I, I love what you do. And obviously, you're one of, you know, a few staff that uh, entails, you know, encompasses Habitat. So I learned some new things about Habitat, but I'd like to close this about um, making it about you. And what is something that um, people would not know about you or would be surprised to know about you um, that you would like to share? Yeah, so I would always say it depends on who I'm sitting across the table from. So I wear so many hats. Um, like I said, I was an investment banker doing mergers and acquisitions in New York City. So if you didn't know I was from New York City, you'd have no idea that I was a banker because there are no other bankers running nonprofits. <laughs> um, if you um, know me through only Habitat, uh, 
you know, I might, they might see me play with my children. I have a five-year-old and seven-year-old and they say, oh, wow, you're so good with goods. And I'd say, well, I've taught 3,000 of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, so prior to this, I owned a small business called Go Kids and we've taught thousands of children. Uh, and then I passed that, uh, sold that, that business onto my employees so they could sort of pass the legacy on. You know, and then if you talk, if I go back and visit with my old New York City friends from, from Wall Street, they're like, why are you crazy man doing, like you work twice as hard and make one tenth the money that we ever did. Like I never would have, I mean they sort of probably would have guessed like because they could tell that I didn't really fit in culturally in that world, but they never, you know, you're like, why are you running a nonprofit? So, right, so again, like it's, those are like three completely different things. So it's always who I'm sitting across the table from will right. be the confusing part. <laughs> Well, I love that, but it's just something more to learn about and understand about you that makes people connect to you as a person who is running a very impactful mission in our community. So well, I really appreciate this time with you today and, and being part of this podcast. And I'm really looking forward to our connections and our relationships with one another in the future. Right. Yeah. And I'm always happy. I'm a storyteller at heart. That's what we do. So. I got plenty of stories across multiple topics, so <laughs> happy to come back and share anytime. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks.